Welcome, everyone. It's awesome to be in the house of the Lord this morning. For those that are visiting, uh, just on behalf, behalf of the staff, just want to say thank you. Thank you for coming here this morning and being a part. Um, if you are new, you need to know that this is not how I dress uh, normally. <laughs> Um, this is a once a year, everyone's coming. You look so great. Thank you. It's not, it's not happening next week. Um, it's not blatantly in scripture, but I have studied the word and it does infer that Jesus did not die on the cross so that we could come to church on Sundays and not be able to swallow in Jesus name, right? Um, we are a comfortable church. We're five blocks from the beach for crying out loud. Um, you know what I love about, about resurrection Sunday is that tomorrow is Resurrection Monday. And Tuesday is Resurrection Tuesday, and it's every single day. The miracle, yes, the miracle of Jesus being raised from the dead and taking on our sins and our punishment and being our Savior is not a once a year celebration. It is an every day, every second of every hour, every hour of every day of our lives, the second that we turn our lives over to Jesus. It is truly a miracle that we live out every single day. So yes, today is Resurrection Sunday, but praise God, so is next Sunday, all right? And the one after that and every day in between. We have been talking here at Beaches Chapel during Lent, which by the way, if you have been fasting and praying, praise God, well, you made it. And, um, and I want to say to our visitors this morning, to those um, who might not know Jesus, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. We have been fasting and praying for you. We have been believing that Jesus is going to move in your hearts today because what we know, we want you to know, this is not an exclusive group. Jesus came for all. And so our hope and our prayer and our desire is for you to know the Lord. If you've never made that decision, our, our, our hope is that you will today, that he knows that you are going to be here. He knows that you are going to hear this message and that your heart would be prepared. And as we've been discussing through Lent, the series, we've been talking about the march to Calvary, the, 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 the steps that Jesus took leading up to the cross, because we've been saying over and over that every step that Jesus took, everything that he did was purposeful, it was for a reason, and it was in the direction of the cross. All of it, every single bit of what he did here on this earth was for the cross because the cross was the way for us to take steps towards him, for us to get to know him. And so here we are on this resurrection Sunday and he, he's reached his destination, right? He's been to the cross and now he's raised from the dead. And so now we have to ask the question, now what? Now what? His mission has been fulfilled. The steps that he has taken, he has taken. So what do we do with it? What do we do with those things? And I want to read this morning out of Mark chapter 15, and I want to go back to when he was on the cross. And I want to look at a few verses that I think really just tell it all. And it's in Mark chapter 15, starting in verse 16. It says this, The soldiers took Jesus into the courtyard of the governor's headquarters called the Praetorium and called out the entire regiment. They dressed him in a purple robe and they wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head. Then they saluted him and taunted, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him on the head with a reed stick, spit, him, spit on him, and dropped to their knees in mock worship. When they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him again. Then they led him away to be crucified. Then the soldiers nailed him to the cross. They divided his clothes and threw dice to decide who would get each piece. Verse 25, it was nine o'clock in the morning when they crucified him. 
A sign announced the charge against him. It read, the king of the Jews. Two revolutionaries were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. The people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Ha! Look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well then, save yourself. Come down from the cross. The leading priests and teachers of religious law also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down from the cross so we can see it and believe him. Even the men who were crucified with Jesus ridiculed him. And it, what, what I find so incredible about these verses, you have Jesus who has died the most brutal death in all of human history. And what I read here that sticks out more than any of it is not the physical pain that he endured, the nails and the crown of thorns and the suffocation on the cross, the beating that he took beforehand. It was, it's the words. It's the words that were said to him. Think about this for a second. There were people kneeling, mocking worship to the creator of the universe, to the creator of the universe. They are mocking him verbally. I mean, the Bible says, look, Jesus was there when the Holy Spirit hovered over the waters. When there was no earth, Jesus was there. John begins his gospel by saying what? In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. They were mocking God to his face as he is dying the most brutal death in all of human history. And when I hear these types of words, if I'm being honest with you all, I get angry. I get angry because, you know, the truth of the matter is, this mocking that we read about here in Mark 15, it has continued on even till today. The mocking hasn't stopped. It is cont- the crucifixion is over. The death is over. But the mocking continues. And it is just as blatant now as it was then. And there is part of me that gets angry. And I, and, and I want to defend Jesus, right? I want to come to his, I want to come to his side and, and, and fight for him. But that is the total wrong reaction. One, because I can't. I cannot defend Jesus. I can't do it. I don't have what it takes. Two, he doesn't need me to defend him. And the third and maybe most important part that we all need to hear this morning is that Jesus does not want us to defend him as the mocking continues. And we know that because he answers these words of mockery with words of his own. Out of Luke chapter 23, verse 34, he says something so incredibly profound in the midst of all this. He says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. He answers their mockery with forgiveness and with love. And what we need to understand is that all the time, no matter what our attitude, no matter what we've done, no matter what we say about God, no matter what we say to God, whatever our beliefs were yesterday or even in this moment, Jesus every single time meets us with love and forgiveness. Every single time. He did it then and he does it now. And we get so caught up in what we've done and what we've said and the way we've behaved that we think that there's no way. But Jesus, in the moment on the cross, when he is literally about to breathe his last breath, when he's been beaten and abused to the point where people can't recognize him, he says, Father, forgive them. 
Because he is up to the task. Where we can't be, he is. Because he is that perfect savior. It says in Romans 8 verse 34, Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand. Check this out. And it says that he is pleading for us. He's pleading for us. So our words might be this, that, and the other, but we need to understand that Jesus' words, even right now, as we're sitting in this church, he is at the right hand of God and he is pleading for you. He's saying, he's saying, you got it. You can do it. I love you. I'm for you. I believe in you. I died for you. I forgive you. He is pleading, y'all. Those are his words for you, no matter what you say to him. Or maybe you've cut him off altogether. Maybe you've never talked to him. Maybe you've never thought to say a single word to Jesus. His words for you are, I love you. Or I forgive you. Solomon says he brings us to his banqueting table and his banner over us is love. He loves you. He loves you so much. I want to look in Luke chapter 15 this morning and look at a great example of this. And it all is, Jesus is telling a story and it's from a response. He, he's giving a response to what is being said about him by the Pharisees. And it begins in Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, uh, complained saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. That word receives right there, what that really means and when it's translated properly means eagerly awaits. He eagerly awaits these sinners and these tax collectors. In other words, this is not just some duty that he has to do and, okay, well, I'm going to have them come over and I'm obligated to do this, right? Like some of us can be when certain you know, people come to the house, right? Whatever, maybe even later today in Jesus' name, that's none of us, right? Um, and here Jesus is eating with what the world calls sinners and tax collectors. And his response to them is not that he has to eat with them. It says that he eagerly awaits them. Like, come, when are they going to get here? When are they come? I'm ready. I can't wait to eat with them. I can't wait to be with them. I can't wait to tell them that I love them and that I forgive them. I am eagerly awaiting the company of those that the world calls sinners. He receives us. Why? Because Jesus is not a passive God. If he were pa a passive God doesn't get into a boat with turbulent seas just across it so that he can free a demon-possessed man of demons and release him of his chains and make him free and whole and good. He doesn't go into Samaria and meet a woman in the middle of the day who's been rejected and hurt by everybody in her life to tell her that I love you and I am going to die for you. A passive Savior doesn't get off of his throne in heaven and come down to this mess and take on a human body and to humble himself to death on a cross. That's not what a passive savior does. A passive, uh, a passive savior says, no, I'm good. But Jesus said, I'm going to go. I'm going to go and I don't even care what they say about me. I'm gonna stay on the cross. I'm gonna prove my love where words can't say it I'm going to do it. I'm going to stay on the cross. And then I'm going to be raised to life. 
so that we can say things to him and him back to us. In verse 11 of the same chapter, Luke 15, it says, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. So here are the words that this son says to his father in, in our terminology today. Let's pretend that you're dead and I want my inheritance now. That's ultimately what he's saying. I want what I would get when you die, but I want it now. And so let's just go ahead and pretend that you are dead. That's how much I think of you. And here's the crazy part. The dad says, okay. Because the dad is willing to let the son have the freedom to make this decision, though it is a poor one. The father loves him enough to give him the freedom to make this choice, even though the words that are said to him are piercing. Parents in the house, can you just imagine for a second what your reaction might be if your child came to you and said, hey, be dead, give me my money. Like, go to your room, child. You're crazy. I'm dead. I'm alive. I'm gonna ground you. Say that to me. My girls would be like, fine, we don't have anything anyway. <laughs> Good luck with the 27 cents on the counter. See you in an hour. <clears throat> but the father says, okay, here you go. Despite what the son says to him. Verse 13, a few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved, check this out, to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. So here it is. Not only does he say, Dad, I wish you were dead, give me the money, but then he takes the money and he goes as far away as he can. He doesn't just move next door or to the town down the street. He goes as far away as he can. And lo and behold, what happens? He spends all of his money and he begins to starve. The things of the world do not save him and he becomes desperate. He thought all he needed was stuff, but the stuff couldn't save him. And he finds himself in trouble and he begins to starve. And so what does he do? Where does he turn? Like many of us, verse 15, it says, he persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good for him, but no one gave him anything. So what does he do when the money has run out, when the starving begins? He looks to himself. How can I save myself? I know. I'll go get a job, and I'll try and earn this. I'll try and feed myself. I'll try and be my own savior. But he find, what he finds is ultimate Rejection and loneliness, no one, the Bible says, no one will give him anything. He's alone. Here's the thing about loneliness. We can be surrounded by people and still be alone. We don't have to be off in a distant land feeding pigs to feel alone. Loneliness is not about people, it's about location. And he was alone and he was rejected because he wasn't where he was supposed to be. He wasn't home. He wasn't home. He had left home. And he tried to do it all on his own. And in doing so, 
he was starving. And I know there's many of us in here who have left home, who have sought out to do things all on our own. And we might put on this brave face. We might on the outside look okay, but on the inside, we are starving. And we are alone. And we have realized that we've lost our way and we're wondering how in the world did I get to this place? It's because you're not home. You're not where God has called you to be. It says in verse 17, when he finally came to his senses, meaning when he finally came to himself, like, wait a second, not only do I remember who I am, but I also remember whose I am. It's like a light bulb goes off. And it says, continuing on in verse 17, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. And then he says in verse 19, and, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. He thinks that because of the decisions that he's made, because of the words that he said to his father, that he has now disqualified himself to be a child of his dad. That, well, look at me now. I took the inheritance, I left, I said, I wish you were dead, and now it's over, I'm no longer your son. My actions and my words have disqualified me from being your son. Verse 20, so he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Here it is, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. Why? Because he is not a passive father. He was eagerly awaiting his son. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And my favorite part, so the party began. All right? So the party began. Why? Because that son never stopped being the father's son. He forgot who he was. And so he spoke things to his dad and he went off into a distant land and he tried things all on his own. And all that ended up happening was him being alone and starving. So once he came to himself and came to his senses and turned around and went back, what happened? He was restored like that. And the father, not being a passive father, but one who was eagerly awaiting the return of his son, ran out to meet him. That is Jesus for us. There is no, okay, I see him coming. I knew this was going to happen. Let's see how he does. Let him prove himself a little bit. See if his heart's really right. See if he's really sorry. And then maybe then I'll let him back into his bedroom. Right? Maybe then I'll let him eat with the family. We won't talk to him yet, right? We'll just keep him at it. None of that. He doesn't make him prove himself. It's enough that, the, that he turned around and the father goes to him and restores him. And then he throws a big old party. And that is what today is all about. This Resurrection Sunday is a party, y'all. Come on, let's go. 
It is a party that, and can you imagine heaven today with all the churches in all the world preaching the gospel on the same day, which just fires me up. I love it that we're all preaching the exact same thing. The people that are getting saved all over the world and the party is nonstop. It's nonstop. Hallelujah. Because God doesn't wait for us to figure it out. He doesn't wait. He wants us to return to him. And so as we talk about this, this series, this March to Calvary, what we're really talking about is what our response is to the steps that Jesus took to us. The son had to come to himself and turn around and go back. What steps are we willing to take so that the father can run to us? I want to look at this in Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 1. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. And then the angel spoke to the women. Don't be afraid, he said. I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come, see where his body was lying. Okay, did y'all catch that for a second? Because when I read this verse, in verse 2, I'm going to go back. It says, For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone. So the angel is the one that rolls the stone away. But here's the thing. It wasn't so that Jesus could be let out. Jesus is already risen. He's already gone. The angel rolled the stone away so that we could go in. That is the point of the stone being rolled away. Listen, if death can't beat Jesus, a stone certainly can't. He doesn't, need, he doesn't need to get it away. If he wants to leave that tomb, he just goes. He's Jesus. The point of the stone being rolled away is to say, hey, come in. See for yourself. Take the steps to see that he is risen. Come on in. I have made a way for you. He is risen. And he wants us to come to him. And as we take that step, boy, you better believe that he's going to come running towards us. He eagerly awaits. He pleads for us. Those are his words to us. I am pleading for you. I eagerly await that moment when you come to yourself and turn around and you stop trying to do it on your own. You stop starving. You stop feeling alone. You stop beating your head against the wall trying to be your own savior and be this better version of yourself. <sighs> that we love to tell ourselves that, that we have to do, well, it's up to me. I have to try harder. I have to go to church more and memorize more of this. And I, if I just stop this addiction, then maybe then I can start going to church. Y'all, it doesn't happen. We can't save ourselves. We can't save ourselves. If we could, do you think Jesus would have spent that time on the cross? No way. He did it because he knew that we couldn't. And in his love, he responded to that. And he is eagerly awaiting all of us to turn and to come to him. I want to go back to Romans 8, where we left off Jesus pleading with us. Paul writes, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. 
And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love that God has revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. So let's not think for one second that we have disqualified ourselves from being a son or a daughter of the Most High God. He says it himself. His sacrifice was enough. There's nothing that we need to add to it. There's nothing more that we can put on it. It is done. It is finished. How will we respond? How will we respond? What steps will we take? I want all of us to stand up this morning. We're going to enter back into worship here in a second. Beaches Chapel, our mission statement here is that we are a home for all to begin and grow in a relationship with Jesus. And we base that off of Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. It says, you are no longer wandering exiles. This kingdom of faith is now your home country. You are no longer strangers or outcasts. You belong here. You belong here with as much right to the name Christian as anyone. God is building a home and he's using all of us. He's checked this out, irrespective of how we got here. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how you got here this morning. If you were dragged here, right? Because you're doing your, your diligence on Easter to come and, and check it off the list. Or if you've been coming here your whole life, it doesn't matter how you got here. God wants to use you in the home that he is building. It goes even further to say he used the, the apostles and the prophets as the foundation. And now he's using us, fitting us in brick by brick and stone by stone with Jesus Christ as the cornerstone that holds it all together. We can see it taking shape day after day. This temple built by God with all of us in it, a temple in which he is quite at home. He wants us in his home. He wants us to be in that place where we are ourselves, where we can come to our senses and say, wait a second, I know who I belong to. And this is my home where I'm not alone, where I'm not rejected, where I am welcomed, and I've certainly, not only am I not starving, but I'm eating at the table of the goodness of God. And all the guilt and all the shame and all those things that we hide in our hearts are no longer there. We lay it at the feet of Jesus and he accepts us for who we are in that moment. In that moment, and he places a robe and a ring on us. And he says, let's party. Let's party. If you're here this morning, if you're watching online and you have never received Jesus as your savior, this is the moment for you. He proved his love for you by dying on the cross so that you wouldn't have to be your own savior. So you wouldn't have to be off in a distant land, starving and alone. He says, I want you to come home. I want you to experience me. I want you to experience salvation. And I want you to know that you are loved and you are forgiven. And I don't care what you said about me yesterday. I don't care what you said about me on the drive in this morning. My words for you 
love you and I forgive you. That is our Jesus. Praise God. He's rolled away the stone so that we could come in and see. I want to pray for you this morning if that's you. And for those that have already received Jesus, let's just pray with everyone in here. Let's reaffirm our faith. Let's tell Jesus on this resurrection Sunday how much we love him. And then I'm going to pray over us for communion as well this morning. But let's begin with this prayer of salvation. Just repeat this after me if you would. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you left heaven and that you died on a cross and were raised again for me. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. Be Lord of my life. Thank you for staying on the cross for me. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, that you are a God who is not passive. You go and you go and you took those necessary steps so that we could respond to you. God, we thank you that the miracle of the cross certainly is not held to one day out of the year, but it truly is a miracle that we get to live out every single day as we draw closer to you and our relationship with you. God, that your desire for us is not to be somebody else, it's to sit at a table and have dinner with us, have a meal with us, for us to get to know each other. And for you to do a work in us that changes who we are from the inside out. God, if we've been trying to do that ourselves, forgive us. Release that burden from us, Lord. That says I have to be my own savior. And I have to act a certain way and dress a certain way and talk a certain way for you to receive me. But God, as we turn to you, you take care of all that. Jesus, that you meet us where we're at, and that you eagerly await us, and that you plead for us, and that those that were mocking then and mock now, Lord, in all of it, you stay the same. You love us and you forgive us all the time. And we remember this morning the sacrifice that you made, your body that was beaten and broken, spit on shamed, hung up on a cross for all to see, gasping for air, you stayed, enduring the most physical pain that none of us could ever imagine, as well as the emotional pain of hearing people mock you, spitting on you, the creator of heavens and earth, you stayed, you were stronger. Father, we take this bread right now and we remember this sacrifice and we again say thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for being our sacrifice. A truth that we really won't understand fully until we get to heaven with you. But we receive it now nonetheless and we say thank you, Jesus. Let's take the bread.
Father, we thank you so much for your blood that was shed for us on that cross. That is the evidence of your forgiveness for us. That is the way that we can come to you every single day. That is the reality of this miracle lived out for the rest of our lives. Why there is a resurrection Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, Father. Because your blood covers all of our sins. Your mercy is new every morning. You are a faithful God who forgives us over and over because you're because of your blood, because you wash us new. And so again, Father, we say thank you. Thank you that you are a God that we can run to in our mistakes and know that you are not going to beat us over the head with shame and guilt, but you're going to wrap us in your arms and say, I forgive you. And you pick us up because your blood washes us clean. Thank you, Jesus. Let's take the blood this morning.